the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. A very special guest joining us today on the program. In fact, one whose voice is quite familiar to our listeners. He is the founding and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Fremont. And it's a delight to have Pastor Tim Brown join us on the program. And Pastor Brown, is always good to see you. Craig, it's good to see you. Good to be with you. And thank you for having me today. My, my, I was just thinking about our conversation, getting ready to visit with you today, the number of legacies or milestones that you're about to uh, to approach here shortly. I understand that you and your lovely wife, Fran, have been married 46-something years, so that big five-zero rapidly approaching. You've yeah. been involved in ministry, I understand, coming up next year, 50 years in one fashion or another, and then having served as the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel of Fremont um, in a couple of scant years, 25 years. That's uh, quite a list of milestones you're reaching. Yeah, in a couple months, it'll be 26 years. So wow. I think uh, only Pastor Terry Inman from Harbor Light has been uh, ministering in our city since uh, uh, I've come. You have undoubtedly seen a lot of remarkable changes happening, not only in the greater Bay Area, but certainly in uh, in the town you call home in Fremont down through the years. Uh, give us your sense in terms of how those changes, both economic with the, the rapid rise of the impact and influence of Silicon Valley, the changing demographics of people coming from literally all over the world to find here in the Bay Area work and uh, a future and a family and a home. Uh, how have some of these changes impacted the way Calvary Chapel Fremont does ministry? Calvary Chapel Fremont, and I think for the most part, probably the, the the Calvary Chapel mentality uh, doesn't have a sense of a, of a quota system, meaning that um, we're not out to target. Now, this would this would obviously vary with with different pastors, but we're out to pastor our community. Um, I'll go out with my grandkids to to any park, and there might be sixty kids and uh, forty parents there, and I'll look around. And I realized I'm the only white man there. I'm the only Caucasian there. Uh, the, the vast majority are Filipino and Chinese. There'll be some uh, Middle Eastern, some Hispanic. And and I, I say that I'm surprised at that because it really doesn't register on my consciousness until about halfway through through that experience. And it's certainly not an uncomfortable experience, but I just... Uh, goes to underscore uh, the question that you've asked concerning the changing demographics. I think I've been like the the frog in the kettle, if you would, uh, where the water is heated up and heated up, and I, I've not even noticed it. The changing the changing demographics uh, around me. Our church certainly reflects the diversity of our community. We have Chinese, Filipino, uh, Indian, uh, Hispanic, African American. Uh, a few smattering of other ethnicities, and then uh, there are some of us Caucasians. Um, but again, it doesn't uh, 
it doesn't even strike my consciousness until someone draws attention to it because I'm so at home in it. But as I but as I think back to 26 years ago, I'm sure that uh, everyone who began the church with us in January of 1997 wasn't Caucasian, but no doubt the majority were. And um, as Calvary Chapel has taken root here in the city, and as we just pursued the Calvary Chapel philosophy of ministry and style of ministry, more and more people have been attracted to that of various uh, ethnicities. Um, a number of years ago, I got the ethnic men in our church together, and I, and I asked them, are we as a church doing something that would inherently uh, offend your 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 race, your ethnicity, your people? Uh, mixed seating, um, some of the songs that we sing, maybe the relaxed, uh, casual style of clothing that uh, that is worn. And they all said, no, 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 no. And then I, I said, uh, should we offer some kind of, you know, maybe once a month, you know, ethnic snacks, you know, uh, Indian snacks, Filipino snacks. And they just all laughed at me. And they said, donuts are the international language of snacks. <laughs> so I thought, all right, well, we're, we're there. <laughs> so, yeah, it, we, we, it's changed, and we have changed with it. But it's not been a calculated strategy on our part. And it's interesting um, that you note that because there are many churches that, in fact, do engage in a very intentional, calculated approach towards broadening the ethnicity, the, the, the dynamic, the makeup of their church. They want to embrace the community around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they need to do that perhaps because for a long time they've had blinders on yeah. and maybe not really sensitive to the way the neighborhood outside the doors of the church have so radically changed. But it, it takes me back to an interesting notion, and that is, if you think back to the early, early days, I'm going back into the 1970s now, early 70s, with Chuck Smith's ministry, and the work there on the coast of California, where oftentimes you would have no idea who would show up for a service on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Folks typically showed up in those days, almost shockingly, in very casual clothing as opposed to the sort of more traditional coat and tie sort of approach with women all in hats. Boy, I'm really <laughs> dating myself <laughs> when I recall those days. But that sense of simply presenting the gospel as it is, because the gospel inherently is intended for all people, all races, all kinds, all ethnicities. And if you just preach the pure love of Christ... And this wonderful love that God has shown toward us that he would send his only begotten son to die on our behalf. When folks are being able to capture that, when the Holy Spirit quickens that truth to their heart, it really it really surpasses all bloodlines in a sense because it's really only about one blood, and that is Christ's blood. So talk to me about that notion of sort of built into the DNA of every Calvary Chapel has been those historical roots, as I say, going back 50, 60 years now almost, that have always said, come one, come all, we're just about the gospel. Yeah. Well, in the late 60s, uh, Orange County, California, it had the largest number of 18 to 25-year-olds of anywhere in the world. Uh, And uh, back then, obviously, it was the hippie, generation drug sex and rock and roll and pastor chuck went to a little church uh, called calvary chapel 25 members had uh, uh, called him and 
uh, hired him to come and be their pastor. And he just began to preach the Bible verse by verse, which was not unique, but it certainly was uncommon. And Chuck's uh, approach to teaching the scripture, along with his own personal charisma and style and that uh, incredible voice that God had gifted him with, and just the love of God that he had put in him, uh, within twelve, within uh, four years, that church had grown twelve thousand members. It, it was amazing, and uh, basically, uh, it was the hippies. And then, when the parents saw the change in their kids, uh, they said, "Hey, what's going on here? You know, is this a cult?" And they would go and they would experience the love of God and just the simple, powerful teaching of the Word of God, and they became part of the church also. And then when, uh, you know, you have friends in different ethnicities and whatnot, you invite them to come, and, and come they do. Uh, to a previous point, I think, though, if I, if I looked around in the church and saw 95% Caucasian, I think I would have to become intentional uh, about reaching the, the various uh, uh, diversities in our community. But it has just um, organically grown, if you would, because of that common language that you just articulated a few moments ago about the love of God. I don't care if you're black, white, red, yellow. That love of God, it surpasses all of that. It transcends all of that. It it, it makes all of that uh, irrelevant. It, it makes it irrelevant. And uh, we, we realize that we are belonging to one race uh, that God created. And when someone then does bring up ethnicities, it's almost as if they're uh, uh, breaking a sacred kind of a, uh, uh, a sense that we're all feeling. Um, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female nor female. I think we can put black or white or red or yellow or whatnot. There's just something deeper, bigger, greater, uh, and beyond all of that that we're now part of. And we have the privilege of being part of the body of Christ and um, to find our identity in Christ and not our, our identity in our uh, sexual orientation, not our identities in our causes, not our identities in our uh, uh, races, our ethnicities, but our identity is found in Jesus Christ, which is what I have found so distressing through the COVID years is that now the church is retreating back into various a sexual orientation, a political orientation, an ideological orientation, a uh, um, an ethnic orientation, and I've seen what you articulated so well of the coming together in the Word of God and in the love of God. Now retreating back into um, those natural affinities from which we came from, and that's what I find one of the greatest <clears throat> um, discomforting things through the COVID years and how the body of Christ has splintered uh, through the years and now find a greater identity in their ideology than we do in Christ. Um, for some, Christ is no longer the ground of our fellowship. Uh, Trump is. And if you're not for Trump, you're not part of them. Or vaccine is, or Biden is, or uh, masking is or what, whatever the BLM CRT, whatever the thing may be, that is not what defines us instead of Christ. And so I've seen the body of Christ splinter uh, over this last uh, two and a half years. And what has distressed me most is to find so many of God's people 
um, for lack of a better word, thin-skinned. I think the greatest, um, the, the greatest victim, if you would, or the greatest tragedy of the last two and a half years is the love of God in the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love one another. Paul said that the uh, goal of our instruction is love. Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And we have love as the greatest identifying characteristic mark of the body of Christ, kind of following Francis Schaeffer's uh, thinking of a, a few decades ago, and how now that love has been um, assaulted and that love has been diluted and diminished. And if you're not of my ideological persuasion, not my theological persuasion, of my ideological persuasion, I really find it hard to, to fellowship with you. Well, and, and I think not only is that terribly troubling in terms of the way in which it sort of lays the groundwork then for the enemy to come in and further divide and conquer. You know, uh, we had the church setting up camp, so to speak, even in the early days of Scripture. I'm of Paul. No, I follow Timothy. Things of that sort going on. And, and now further diluted, as you pass, point to Pastor Brown, in that it's not just whether or not you're a Presbyterian or a Southern Baptist or whatever particular theological um, uh, bent you may adhere to, but then where do you stand, as you say, on certain political issues, or at least politically charged issues? And I think in some respects, the church is kind of, and I want to be clear here, this is not meant to be a, a, a blanket observation, because there are some churches that I think through all of this have done a wonderful job to to steer clear of that which divides us yeah. and focus on the real job at hand. You know, the funny thing is when you when you strip down the differences... I look different, I speak different, I have a different language, I have a different food that I eat, things of that sort. In the end, though, we still all have hearts that are hurting. We are still all sinners in the need of a Savior. There is much more that binds us together in the commonality of who we are as fallen creatures, but nevertheless created in God's image in the need of salvation, than all these other things that we tend to focus on that divide us. And, and while, as I say, some churches, I think, have done a good job to not allow those divisions to creep in, still others have kind of, you know, signed up and lined up with particular ideologies that further goes to divide the church. Our visit today with Pastor Tim Brown, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our dialogue right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Tim Brown from Calvary Chapel, Fremont with us today. Pastor Brown, I want to pick up things where we left off just prior to the break. At the height of COVID, when we had so many people that maybe for the first time, both young and old, watching the reports of how many Americans were dying, going into the hospital, and, and the, the shocking numbers as, as COVID spread like wildfire across the country, millions of people pondering their own mortality, perhaps for the very first time. And the chance we've had as the church to be there, to give the answer for the hope that lies within, to be able to talk about. There's good news. It doesn't end when they lower you in the grave. And here's what eternity is like with God. And here's what eternity is like apart from God. And I think some ways we spurned, at least in our lifetime, one of the greatest opportunities the church ever could have been handed to be there, not to give an answer for what the president is saying or what the political party might be thinking or what your particular bent might be on on medical treatments, but rather to give an answer for the real issue at hand. And that is the short time we have here on earth 
and what it means to be in fellowship with Christ at the time of our passing or to not be. Yeah, um, folks wanted to know what our COVID policy was. And so I told the church, I said, our COVID policy is we're against it. And if you're going to a church that's for COVID, you need to get out of that church. <laughs> but, I, you know, I said, you know, uh, what about masking? What about vaccine? What about, uh, you know, social distancing and all this and all that? And here's our official policy. You're an adult. Figure it out. I, I refuse to be your conscience on the matter. Um, if you want to wear a mask at church, wear a mask. If you don't, don't. If you want to get vaxxed, get vaxxed. If you don't, don't. If you think that being at our church increases your exposure for COVID, don't show up. I mean, it, it's, it's you're an adult. Make a decision based upon the things that that you believe. And so we just don't take uh, a stance on those things because not only are they, not only, you know, here's my medical opinion or my moral position, they're, they're all politically charged. And I, I refuse to align the church with an ideological position that will then alienate those of the other. And so, again, if you want to vax, get vax. If you don't, don't. If you think it's a government conspiracy, okay, great. If you think that uh, you're an idiot if you don't get vax, okay. You know, well, we're just not going to make a, an issue uh, of the thing. And I think that whenever you do say, here is our policy, there was a church. Some of our folks had to move to another state, and they went to a church that preached against vaccinations almost every Sunday. And for their jobs, they had to get vaccinated. And they were shunned out of the church. Because, again, no longer is Christ the foundation of our of our fellowship. Uh, it's whether or not you follow our public policy kind of the thing, our ideology. There are some churches that uh, uh, if you're a Democrat, you would not be welcomed in that church. There are some churches that if you're a Republican, you would not be welcomed in that church. And to me, that is a shame. To me, that is anti-gospel. To me, that is making something other than Christ the ground and the found, the foundation of our fellowship. And I believe the church has uh, culturally uh, compromised itself, whether it be through um, the advocation of different uh, sexual uh, orientations, whether it be through, again, uh, Championing, 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 and again that word, uh, advocating a particular uh, political uh, ideology or playing partisanship, and I think for some, uh, the church has moved away from the foundation of Christ. And you know, it's interesting. We talked earlier about changing face of the the ethnical makeup of parts of the Bay Area and, and certainly in Fremont um, and how that sometimes people will get caught up on other types of labels or identities that in many respects, I think, sadly supplant what ought to be the core and truth be told, the singular identity. And that is what is our identity in Christ and the centrality of him in our lives and the importance of his word as the foundation for our lives and all of this other stuff. And that's just it. It's just stuff will all pass away. The only thing that will be left standing when it's all said and done is going to be Christ's work on the cross and his word, which never passes away. Our visit today with Pastor Tim Brown, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our dialogue right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Tim Brown from Calvary Chapel, Fremont, with us today. Pastor Brown, let's return to our conversation just prior to the break. Now, in some respects, the enemy has certainly learned how to kind of, um, how should we say, harness some of the anger, the fear, the frustration. And quite frankly, and, and this is another point I'd have to have you speak to, Pastor Brown, the enemy has even harvested some of our ignorance in that we've gone from spending time in the Word and in fellowship with Him and really capturing what sin does, what what salvation is, and and what the sanctification process as we grow in Christ, as we are become disciples of His, that we've kind of lost that. And I'm wondering how much of that has taken place, even in terms of losing some of those points from the pulpit that there are churches certainly around the Bay Area and even around the country, that on any given Sunday morning, if you were to uh, maybe hang a, a sheet over the TV set and only listen to the audio, it would be difficult to tell whether or not you were listening to a live church broadcast service or an Anthony Robbins uh, success yeah. motivation seminar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, this might be a helpful illustration. There was a great movie where Gene Hackman is a basketball coach, Hoosiers that came about 20, 30 years ago, and he's the basketball coach of that small Indiana town, podunk town. But he is able to take the team to the national championships. And so there's that wonderful scene where this team comes into the, I think it's this uh, university. They come into the university basketball gym court, and all they have is this podunk gym back home with these fold-out, you know, uh, uh, chairs that you know those stadium things the chairs that we've seen and uh, but this is just the state of an art state of the art gym and, and they're just overawed and they're just looking around them with their mouths hung open and uh, Gene Hackman can tell these guys are intimidated by this setting that they're overwhelmed by this scenario here and so he gets a tape measure and he asks one of his guys hey would you please measure the distance from the floor to the basket is 10 feet. Would you please measure the free flow, the, the free throw line to the basket? It's 12 feet, 15 in pro, but 12 in basket, uh, 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 high school. And then there's other measurements, the size of the key, the width of it. And basically everything is the same. That basketball court in that state-of-the-art gym is the same dimensions as a basketball court back in their Podunk City nothing has changed. And so when I think of COVID and the changing landscape around us, you know, we had the um, the medical pandemic and then the social pandemonium with George Floyd and then the political partisanship that's saying it was a perfect storm. But my contention is that nothing changed. The message, the mandate, and the mission of the church remain the same. But those churches that pontificated on politics, pontificated on the social dimensions of the pandemonium over the George Floyd murder, those churches that tried to pontificate when it came to the medical response that we should have, those churches, I think, became diluted in their discipleship. They became off focus with the message of the gospel. And for them, the mission, the mandate, and the message of the church changed. Or I believe it remained, no matter... If I'm in 5th century Rome or 12th century Africa or 18th century Europe, 21st century America, it's ex- the gospel is exactly the same. The mission, the mandate, and the message of the church does not change. And uh, I made it 
part of my mission, if you would, to keep our church focused on that. Then I published a series of blogs for the Calvary Chapel guys to kind of keep our eyes focused on that, to keep the main thing the main thing. And yeah, we can have our opinion on politics and medicines and uh, CRT, BLM, and all of the social <clears throat> dynamics uh, wrapped up in the summer of 2020. But our mandate has never changed. Our mission has never changed. Our message has never, ever changed. And so in one way, even though the world around us changes, the church remains the same. And um, this is something I see we, uh, I think we see um, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, even their vestments and the way they do services and uh, their clothing and their liturgy hasn't changed for maybe 1,500 years because they're just so um, um, convinced of the truth that they hold to in the same way. I believe that gospel ministers should continue to uh, follow after the mission of mandate the message of the church as explicated in the scripture and um, keep the main thing the main thing. We felt the cultural pressure to comment. That's when I think we began to unravel. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, to your point, the methodology may morph slightly to meet changing circumstances. There may be churches that say, hey, we're doing a great job, but we've noticed the makeup of the neighborhood has changed and we might be more effective if we added a Spanish-speaking service uh, at one point on Sundays or or opened ourselves up to more youth ministry because we've noticed that the the changing demographic of the neighborhood that we're planted in seems to have a high number of younger people in it. But in the end, the core message stays the same. And the irony, as you were speaking, Pastor Brown, I thought to myself, you know what else hasn't changed? The enemy's book of tricks. There you go. Uh, Divide, conquer, confuse, question God. Has God said, you know, that that, that very utterance in the Garden of Eden has planted that doubt in the minds of mankind for all of these millennia. Mm -hmm. And his methodology hasn't changed. So we shouldn't be surprised at all. And in the end, if we're not truth tellers and we're not building that foundation on God's word, uh, that's where we get ourselves into serious trouble. And I think perhaps that's where the church has, in some degrees, um, kind of uh, drifted off of. It's almost as if somebody cut one of the lines off the shore and the, the boat is now adrift because we've allowed ourselves to be distracted by all of this stuff and have allowed ourselves to get off message. And all of a sudden now, if the if the admittance rules to going to a church isn't based on do they preach the gospel? Is God's word proclaimed unabridged? Is Jesus glorified? If yeah. that isn't the question that we're asking when we consider which church we'd like to go to on Sunday, instead of, well, what is their COVID policy? Well, do you know whether or not they're predominantly Democrat or Republican? Yeah. Well, how yeah. does the pastor vote? When, when those are the questions that are supplanting the real important life questions, then I think we, we really need to stop and pause and re-examine ourselves because the church, as I say, I think here with all the turmoil going on in the world today and, and, and if you read the headline news, seemingly increasingly more tumultuous day by day, we're either at the cusp of one of the greatest opportunities mm-hmm. for the church to bring in a phenomenal harvest that may likely, and I don't want to head down a road into eschatology here, but may likely usher in Christ's return yeah. or are we going to spurn this opportunity and watch this 
find ourselves one day before the throne of grace bragging about all the wonderful things we did for the Lord and how we preached and we had the best COVID policy of any church in the Bay Area or whatever the case might be. And for Christ to turn back and look at us square in the eye and say, get behind me, Satan. I knew you not. Your claims of good works of raising the dead and restoring sight to the blind is all rubbish to me. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, again, you know, we are pressured to, hey, hey, Pastor, you need to speak about this. The people need a word of wisdom and guidance, and so uh, you need to speak into this. Uh, one of the greatest quotes, to me, that's not in the Bible, it should be, <laughs> uh, if you want to say something relevant, because relevance is all the rage today, if you want to say something relevant, say something eternal. And that has just stuck to my bones for years and years. If you want to say something relevant, say something eternal. I just heard of a church that made it their public, uh, the church's public policy uh, to support reparations. And so if you're against reparations, you don't want to go to that church anymore because you're going to hear that preached or your uh, your monies or whatever are going to be going somewhat in that direction, not reparations, but of supporting the cause. And I'm not anti-reparations or pro-reparations in that sense, but why, why does the church... Why does the church have to have a, a corporate policy on that? You know, I would say, you guys figure it out. You know, you read the arguments, and uh, uh, we can talk about it. And uh, but I, I, that's that's not in the wheelhouse of the church to have a public uh, uh, policy or position on on reparations or vaccinations or. Or, or voting, I think you should vote, but vote your conscience. You're a big boy. You figure it out. You know, you're an adult. I respect your mind, and I respect that you have the ability to think through the issues biblically. And I also understand that we can come to different conclusions. And I want to say that all of that is swallowed up in Christ. That if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, I'm going to fellowship with you. I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. Um, I, we might have discussions about certain issues. I think politics is rooted in morality, and certainly the Scripture speaks <laughs> critically uh, to morality. But at the same time, I understand someone who doesn't hold to my particular understanding of this particular issue, and I don't. I, I think I'm a secure man in that people don't need to keep in lockstep uh, with my thinking. And uh, I have opinions about reparations and political voting and uh, vaccinations and maskings, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that it's my job to inflict my opinions on the church. I think that if something is um, evident in the exposition, the exegesis of a particular passage, um, you know, abortion is... Uh, you know, I, it was genius when someone came up with that idea of pro-choice. They moved they moved abortion from the, the moral realm into the political realm, and uh, but it has its mooring in the moral realm. So the church can speak incredibly uh, passionately to to abortion. And someone says you're getting political. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm getting moral. I'm getting biblical. I'm saying an eternal. I'm saying an eternal word. Where with some of these other issues. Um, I, I see some principles uh, I, with vaccinations. I, I I see principles both ways, and though I am decidedly one way, 
I'm not going to condemn uh, the other way. That's not my job. And if I do, I alienate. And it's not that it's a political decision on my part. Well, I don't want to alienate so-and-so so they won't come to the church. I, I believe that uh, uh, you're an adult and you can make that choice. And again, I don't have the energy to be your conscience. Our visit today with Pastor Tim Brown, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our dialogue right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Tim Brown from Calvary Chapel, Fremont with us today. Pastor Brown, let's return to our conversation just prior to the break. Now, you know what I find fascinating and maybe also indicative of a sense of of a growing degree of biblical illiteracy in the church today. And that is that some people will use some of the topics that we've discussed today as sort of a litmus test as to whether or not they will engage in fellowship with you. Mm -hmm. Well, I like you, but, you know, you voted for so-and-so and I just can't tolerate somebody who did that and they almost as if put the onus on whether or not they will engage and if so how so based on a litmus test that more often than not is more based on political relationships or topics than spiritual ones and And yet i find that christ is not the foundation of our fellowship well exactly right and and not only is that problematic but here's another thing that really really again going back to the heart of of biblical illiteracy that really would would throw a monkey wrench into that entire approach and that is well what do you do with somebody like paul who arguably is certainly one of the greatest leaders of the first century church wrote a significant portion of the New Testament, and yet here Paul says, I'm all things to all men that I might win some. Doesn't mean that he's compromising per se, but that the terms of engagement is based on the other person's need and where they're at in God or not at in God, as opposed to whether or not that person's philosophy aligns with mine. And boy, imagine how different... The communities might look, our world might look, our churches might look. If the the emphasis was not on me, mine, my thoughts, my ideas, but rather on his thoughts, his ideas, the mind of Christ put on, and therefore then seeing each person that comes in the door is not an enemy with which we have a political um, bone to pick, but rather somebody that is equally a sinner as I in need of a savior. Yeah, and the thing is this. It's it's one thing to say, hey, do you believe this, Tim? Well, yes, I do. Well, I disagree with that, but I'm not going to leave the church because the foundation is is, is Christ. You know, because leaving the church, in a sense, that's a judgment. To say I disagree with you, that's a decision. But who am I? Let's say, Craig, you and I disagree. Let's say on vaccinations. You're pro. I'm against. I'm pro. You're against. Um, Who am I to, to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for Christ is able to make him stand. I am getting into God's territory if I begin to judge you because of your ideological stance. You know, just to change uh, uh, gears here just for a minute, uh, something that's refreshing at Calvary. We can, I, I love talking philosophy and uh, ideology and these kinds of things. But something that's refreshing at Calvary Fremont is we've had as our, our vision statement. I guess it's a vision statement or a mission statement. I, I I'm a smart guy, Greg. I can't figure out the difference between a mission and a vision. And I've gone to the seminars, and I, I still don't know. Anyway, uh, the vision statement of the mission statement is find out, discover what Jesus wants you to do, and do it. Discover what Jesus wants you to do. Meaning, I don't have a vision for your life. 
Jesus has a vision for your life. I was talking to a pastor friend about this. He goes, well, our vision or our mission statement is we want to reach community A, B, and C. I said, great, but what if someone comes to you and says, God's put it on my heart to reach community D? He goes, well, we just can't get behind you there because our vision is A, B, and C. God hasn't given us D, and so we can't support you. We won't get behind you. My, our vision here is whatever Jesus has called you to do, we'll get behind you. Discover what, not what Tim wants you to do. Discover what Jesus wants you to do and do it. I just had a guy come in for me two Sundays ago, and he and his family bought a food truck, and they go out and they feed the homeless now with, with the food truck. And uh, they've just been asking Jesus, what do you want us to do? And they do it. And we have two or three outreaches to the homeless. We have uh, uh, men stepping up to lead, um, excuse me, grief share groups, the Celebrate Recovery uh, groups, and just men and women that have been empowered. I just taught a, a series on the Holy Spirit, and um, the question is asked, what gifts do I have? And I guess there's different ways to figure that out. But I said, here's the biblical way. Um, God gives you a ministry first, and then he gives you a gift. Uh, the classic way is to discover what your gifts are and then go figure out what your ministry is. The Bible way is God gives you a ministry, and then he gives you gifts commensurate with that ministry. He said to Moses, go be a deliverer. What did Moses say? I don't have that gift, Lord. And but God, God gave him all of the gifts, all of the equipping resources necessary to be the deliverer. Jeremiah, go pluck up nations and tear down nations and build them up and plant them. And Jeremiah said, I don't have that gift. And God says, don't worry. Everywhere I send you, you shall go. Everywhere I say to you, you shall speak. I'm going to give you that gift. Gideon, go go be the, the uh, was it the Moabites or the Midianites? I think it was Midianites. And uh, Gideon said, I don't have that gift, Lord. I'm not, a, I'm not a deliverer. I'm not a judge. Don't you worry, the man of God. I'll give you everything uh, that you need. Uh, whom he calls, he equips, right? It's not the he other does, way around. It's so, not the other way around. Is don't ask what your, what your gift is. Ask what your ministry is. Well, I want to do this, but it's so big. It's beyond my education. It's beyond my training. It's beyond my knowledge. It's beyond my skill. I don't know. God will give you what you need. Or that and, and, you know, the beautiful thing about that, too, because we know also that God is a jealous God and he wants to take the credit. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not about, well, I've got this fantastic skill, so I'm going to put it to work exactly. instead of saying, you know what, I'll be honest with you. I have no clue what I'm doing. That's but I right. have a burden that God has placed yeah. on my heart. I want to be obedient to his calling. And I believe he will pull all the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. And in the end, when God opens up a door and you wind up doing something phenomenal for the kingdom, guess what? He gets all the credit, which is yeah. as it should be. Because anyone honest enough would say, yeah, I went into that. No clue what I was doing at all. No, right. This is all about Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, Nehemiah, he was serving the king, and he got the word about the ruins of Jerusalem, and he got a burden. And that burden turned into a prayer. That prayer turned into a vision. That vision turned into a plan. And there was, we just see the birth of ministry in Nehemiah and how this undefined burden becomes a precision plan through, through prayer and through seeking God and through developing and nurturing that vision. And it's not necessarily that he put his gifts to work. But God gave him that burden, and that burden then stirred up those things that God wanted to give him. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, you know, uh, 
to stir up the gift that he received through the laying on of hands. He, he was given ministry first, and then he was given gifts. And I think that's the pattern we see all the way through Scripture. So what's your ministry? Dream big. I mean, let, let the Lord just drop something big in your heart. And uh, to me, it's very refreshing. Pastor Brown, for folks that have been eavesdropping on our conversation today as our time together uh, begins to wind down, uh, take a moment, if you would. Give us sort of the, uh, what do they say, the 30-second elevator talk about uh, life and ministry at Calvary Chapel in Fremont. Now, you're meeting Sunday mornings, I understand, at 10 a.m. and a midweek service, Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. But uh, give us kind of a thumbnail sketch as to uh, the life of the church, the body of Christ at Calvary uh, Fremont. Yeah, we, we have a lot of young family. We probably maybe have 175 adults on a Sunday morning and maybe 75, maybe even 100 kids. I mean, um, someone had said when the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, that's the only command mankind has ever obeyed. And uh, it's being obeyed at our church for sure. A lot of young families, uh, older folks in between, glorious youth group and children's ministry. Um, I've been noticing a lot. People have been hanging out and fellowshipping after church, sometimes for up to an hour, but now some of them are staying an hour and a half. I mean, you see these significant groups of people talking together and praying together of all nationality, uh, of all ages, and it's just a glorious thing that uh, the Lord is doing. Craig, you had made mention earlier about um, uh, this opportunity that the body of Christ has right now. I think two things are happening. I think we're going to be seeing growing division in the churches because of cultural and ideological causes. But at the same time, I see a constant hope for the Church of Jesus Christ breaking out in revival and God doing tremendous things in the body of Christ around the world as we seek His face. Because He has He has those who haven't bound the knee. He has those who are constantly seeking His face. And I think, believe times of refreshing are on their way from the Lord. If we just wait upon him. So it's a joy to pastor. It's a joy to these people are lovely people, glorious people, enthusiastic. They love Jesus. And it's, they make they make pastoring a joy. And it has been a joy visiting with you today. Pastor Tim Brown, Senior Pastor, Calvary Chapel, Fremont. Again, service time, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with a midweek service, Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. They meet at 42986 Osgood Road in the city of Fremont. You can call them at area code 510-656-8979. That's 510-656-8979. Or easier still, find them on the web at calvaryfremont.org. That's calvaryfremont.org. And our thanks to founding pastor, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Fremont, Pastor Tim Brown, for being for being with us today. Pastor Tim, great to see you again. Thank you for being, uh, thank you for having me. And one addendum, on Monday night, October 31st, from 5.30 to 8.30, we have our Jesus Loves Me Harvest Festival. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come out. Everything is free. Uh, candy, uh booths, hot dogs, churros, mariachi band. It's going to be awesome. We invite you out. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and a great and safe alternative to the typical um, October 31st Halloween uh, festivities. Again, that's taking place at Calvary Chapel Fremont on the web at calvaryfremont.org. 
that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.